Hey everyone, welcome back to Baritone Podcast. My name is Lucas and I'm one of the producers of the show. Today on the podcast, we are featuring an interview Anthony and I did with Old Bear artist Ed Chilungu. Ed is a classically trained pianist, and in this interview, we really dive deep and talk about themes that appear on his new record, as well as a bit about Ed's personal journey that has led him to where he is now. We hope you enjoy this interview with Ed, and thank you for listening. All right, Ed, so... I'm just going to start off by telling everybody how we met, because okay. I think that's probably my favorite musician <laughs> story. Yeah, tell me the story. All right, so here's exactly I'm, I'm very here's what happened. Um, we used to do these college, Monday night college groups, uh, Bible studies called Relevant Worship, and or it was called Relevant, and we were... Uh, in the middle of a service and we're playing, we're like doing the worship time, the music time of the service. And Ed, I had my eyes closed and I was leading a song. And next, you know, like out of nowhere, I start hearing this piano playing along to us, like to along with the band. And Mm -hmm. I was thinking in my mind as we were, as we were, um, playing that, I was like, man, we never, we didn't have a piano player during <laughs> practice, you know? So I was like, what is, where's that coming from? So I open up my eyes, I look over and I see Ed playing the piano. And you didn't know him at this point? I didn't know him at all. <laughs> never seen him in your life. Never seen him in my entire <laughs> life. And so I, I open my eyes, I see Ed playing the piano and I'm like, well, that's weird. Like he didn't come to practice. Nobody even said we had a piano player. So I was just thinking like, well, maybe, maybe he told my brother who was also there, that he was going to be late. And my brother just didn't tell me. So um, I just went with it because it sounded good. It was fine. Um, he clearly knew what he was doing. Yeah. Was- so I wasn't like, you know, security or anything, get him off the stage. But <laughs> so we get done with the entire service. He played the whole time. we done with the service. And I'm going around from person to person on stage going, Hey, who's the piano player? You know, we'll come to find out nobody knew who he was. <laughs> Ed had just walked in that night, saw us all up there playing music. He saw the open piano and thought, I'm "Just gonna go up there and join him." And I, I always thought like that was such a and and come to find out, my brother had previously talked to you about like coming, coming in, in and just hanging, but never about like just playing, jumping up and never playing. Never playing at all. No, see, like. I think that was that had been made like two thousand four or something like that, and it was around the first time I started going to church. I got saved like recently before that, like maybe a few months or a year before that, and so I wasn't in the church culture, and not and if there was any church culture that I knew, it was more like Catholic, because I went to Catholic school. So this whole Protestant like and like Assembly of God whatever sort of stuff was different. <laughs> so I didn't know I and like. And I remember coming to the church and seeing, like, your brother, Chris, and, like, some of the other guys from the band just hanging out. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. But I didn't know anybody. Mm-hmm. So, like, I would see these guys around my age just hanging out, loafing around, like, just hanging out. And Chris would kind of laugh at me because I'd come in and be like, hey, man, what's going on? I'd be like, oh, I'm going to the 
to the men's Bible study. <laughs> and like, and he's like, oh, okay. And it would be like the college night. And I didn't know there was a college night. Yeah, so Ed would come to the church. <laughs> and he would, the group that he first identified with, maybe not personally, but just his way in, uh-huh. was with a bunch of senior citizen men. men yeah. <laughs> and the best part about it is that he would have to walk through the church where, because they met on the same night that the college group met. Yeah. And he would walk past the college group that he was, I mean, that was his age group, and go sit with the senior citizens in another part of the church. Because he didn't know if he could, like, I don't know if you didn't think you were invited or, but it was a big group. It was just like yeah. a church service just for, you know, whatever. So, yeah, that was really funny. And so Chris actually was like, hey, man, come hang out. I think his words were like, yeah, you should come hang out sometime. So I literally took that literally. I was like, oh, we're just going to be hanging out. I <laughs> I didn't know that when, like, you know, the Christianese talk, like, hang out means, like, we're going to, like, have, like, Bible study. We're going to have really good fellowship and worship. Mm. When I heard hang out, I was still thinking, like, oh, we're going to kind of, like, party. We're just going to chill, or, you know. And so when I came into the room, I saw... A bunch of people just laying out on the ground and like there's, there's like a girl laying out on the ground over there there's like another chris got like this huge afro his hands are in the air people are just walking around talking to themselves in like funny languages <laughs> i'm like oh this is kind of a trip you know i'll just walk in and join this jam session so to speak you know this is like i thought let's just jam let's just you know let's get this thing going so that's how it started man that's awesome <laughs> i mean it, it for all intents and purposes, Ed sort of had a jazz background, piano-wise, and so <laughs> it's not—it's not like uncommon to just sort of jump up and improvise. That's like the style. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking of. That's more. I, I, I actually—I don't know what what I was thinking of. Really, it's, that's weird that I would just do that now. <laughs> I mean now now thinking that after gone and been at thousands of church services, mm-hmm. like you think that's like embarrassing. That's like mm-hmm. who would do something like that? But I guess I had no context really. Yeah. So I didn't I wasn't embarrassed. There was no like realization that, that was not what you don't do that. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that was refreshing for you guys too. I mean sometimes when someone comes in and shakes things up, that's yeah, that's it was nice. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, that was an exciting time of life musically, uh, just discovering that, you know, that everybody needs like, a st- I ca- so basically for me, it was like, that was the moment where I realized that playing music for the church was, wasn't a cop out. Mm-hmm. Because I think before that, um, that season, I always like because I grew up in the church, and and anybody could try out to play on the stage, you know. Mm. And it just felt like, man, this is rough. And if I if I do this somehow, like it, I'm not a real musician. But but that season of my life really kind of cemented f- for me that that wasn't the case. That you know, it still needed to be quality. Yeah. And that I couldn't necessarily complain about the quality of music in in the church, particularly if I wasn't interested in like being part of the solution. Not to say that I'm like that I like oh I'm here and I'm gonna make it all better, <laughs> but I couldn't talk bad about it if I wasn't willing to also participate, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, regardless of my skill or how 
good or bad I was if if you don't you know if you're not on the stage trying to make it better or at least contributing to what you think is better then you're just kind of a noisy thing in the background that people in the church just find annoying because Mm -hmm. you know but and I have to say there's two things I remember praying when I became a believer so I was at music school and when I ended up coming back to Buffalo I was like okay lord um now I'm a believer. I was like, help me find a church where I could uh, grow in you, but also be involved with music. And it was like, it was my father who recommended that I come to your guys' church because um, he had a student. I don't know who that student was, but my father was a professor at Buffalo State College for like 45 years. And I, and I thought maybe if I went to where my father wanted to go, maybe my family would start coming. And so my father was like, oh, you should go out to this church out, Evangel, you should go out there. You know, that's, my student keeps inviting me there. And, you know, so that's what really got me going and not, and then realizing that there actually was like this movement of like musicians that would all come to the church. And I didn't even know that at first, you know, at first I linked up with your grandfather, mm-hmm. you know, I was, <laughs> yeah. So my grandfather, <laughs> right, that's what I mean. Like, so my grandfather, uh, is, is, is in his nineties now, but, um, for forever he would, he would play nursing homes, uh, services in nursing homes. Uh, so he would, he would, he's a pastor. So, but mm-hmm. he would play the music and then preach to a mixed audience of like not some very captive audiences and some very like different. I mean, I grew up playing with them in those settings and they were always a little like, you know, hit or miss. But anyways, um, yeah, like somehow my grandfather started inviting Ed to play with him during the day as he would make Mm. his rounds through different nursing homes in, 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 uh, in Buffalo. Wow. So, yeah. What was that like? That was really cool. I mean, Pappy was like always the super encouraging one. <laughs> he was, uh, I, when I think of like, not to get into theology, but when I start getting to think of certain things that are like common topics in like Christian culture, like, oh, can you lose your salvation or can't you lose your salvation? Pappy was always one of the people that I, that I saw the joy of the Lord in. And like he was a pastor at an assembly of God church, but like when I would ask him questions like that, being a new believer, I would talk to all the seniors that I was around, these older men, and and get every variety of different answer on the topic. But Pappy, I'd be like, Pappy, so I hear people talking about you could lose your salvation. What does that mean? Can you? Can you not? I, I don't know what it means. He was like. And I just know I love the Lord. Yeah. And I worship the Lord. This is my, this is my impersonation of because I go into my exercise room and I just say, oh, Lord, I love you. And he loves me. And I don't believe he's ever going to let me go. And he won't let you go ahead. And it was, it was like, there was something nice about having, like, cause I didn't grow up knowing my grandparents. They're all gone before I was a baby or before I was born. And so having to be around Pappy and was kind of encouraging. He was one of the older guys that really uh, encouraged me. Some of the other guys mm. were very fiery people, mm-hmm. you know, and I got a lot out of praying with them, you know, 
But Pappy had a kind of worshiper's heart, which I noticed because uh, just how he would talk about things, you know, how it was a lifestyle for him to worship the Lord. And I believe that was what gave him his his like vitality and his mm-hmm. his uh, youthfulness. Mm-hmm. You know, when I met him, he was probably like already 81, mm-hmm. probably 80, 81, 82. Mm-hmm. He was still fixing the church vans. Mm-hmm. He was in better shape than I was. Yeah, he still is. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Ouch. He's in better shape than me, too. <laughs> to talk about a little bit too is just like to make make people aware of your a little bit of your story so before you moved back to Buffalo though you you were um, in college or you went to college yeah big concert pianist it was always a dream yeah mm. yep did you start playing when you were I little? started playing when I was around four or five I think playing just fooling around when I was like four because we had a piano but taking lessons when I was like five or six um yeah it got intense around the time i was 10 i like started practicing a lot and and i remember praying actually i believe i prayed a prayer that i'd be like mozart or something like that mm-hmm. when i was younger and that mm-hmm. i wasn't a believer at the point but i just that was one of the first times i prayed and i remember i would listen to some of these old classical pianists play on record like uh vladimir horowitz or uh sergey rachmaninoff and I would listen to their music and I would listen and some parts of the music would really touch me. Like there was one part of this, uh, if you ever saw this movie called Shine, uh, back in the day, it was about a pianist named David Halfgott, I believe, or Halfgott, he's from Australia, who his dad was a Holocaust survivor and wanted him to be a, a concert pianist. And so this guy mm-hmm. starts practicing the piano kind of because he was forced to. And he got really good, but then he played this really difficult piece by Rachmaninoff, this third piano concerto. It's with orchestra. He played at a competition in like London or something like that. And after he played this piece, he like collapses. And they said he had a complete nervous breakdown and he was diagnosed with schizophrenia. And and uh, it's interesting because I kind of I had a similar experience, but not maybe collapsing. But uh, just when I used to listen to that music when I was younger, I used to have this feeling of, uh, man, this is hev- heavenly. There's like a mm. heavenly music. You know, I would listen to some of the, these classics and I'd feel like, I, I would almost put it like this. I felt like, I felt like God and his, his saints were in heaven rooting for me. Huh. When I would listen to some of these musics at some part, that... Every time it would just happen, I'd feel like the saints of God were rooting for me. Mm-hmm. And I had that feeling. But when I went to college, I actually ended up studying a piece by that same composer that, that David Helfgott played. 
and when he collapsed, Rachmaninoff, a very difficult piano sonata, and I started practicing like 15 hours a day for a month, and I wasn't sleeping a lot. I was overdoing it, let's say, and I I got really good, but then it got to the point where it got kind of spooky because like I was experiencing things that were like kind of psychedelic. I I I'd been on so little sleep and I'd been pushing myself so hard. Like, can you imagine sitting in front of a piano for 15 hours a day? It's wild. And normal for me was 10 hours a day. So 10 hours was normal for like maybe eight years, 10 years. That's still crazy. So that was, that was normal. But 15 hours a day was about the maximum I could do. And, uh, and so I remember just like having kind of like hallucinations of like, I would see energy waves. I would see, more like just seeing energy, seeing weird energy waves. And I would sit down to play the piano and I wouldn't even really be playing. It would be like, I would just sit there and watch and observe myself play this 30 minute long piece and mm. be in an observing mode. Mm-hmm. And my body is just playing this piece. So I don't know what you make of that, but that was kind of, <laughs> it, was, it was very different. Wow. It was, it was, it was kind of like, uh, possession or, or something it was it was like it was kind of crazy but uh around that time i played this concert by uh that composer um i played that i played this con this piece and uh, i came back to my apartment and i remember just god speaking to me and i wasn't sure 100 percent if it was god but i felt it was god because from the little that i knew about the bible my Catholic days, going to Catholic school, I remembered that it was Palm Sunday. It was a week before Easter. And I just played, so I played this concert for like a billionaire at his house and played that piece by Rachmaninoff. And and uh, it was a success. I got a scholarship. They, they were going to pay for my schooling for like the next year. Wow. And uh, I remember just being in there in my room and I was writing down in a journal what I should practice. And I remember hearing a thought just fleetingly goes through my mind very innocently. Son of Simeon, my dad's name is Simeon, like from the Bible. Son of Simeon, do not be afraid and live a clean life. And I remember I immediately start tearing up, thinking to myself, what was that? I And it struck me because it, it was like I never experienced anything like that. And it was just a thought. Mm-hmm. It wasn't. It wasn't like any huge vision or anything like that. But it was powerful enough that the next day, when I truly needed God's help and I was having a real breakdown because I'd been sleeping so little, and I thought that you know maybe terrorists were going to attack our school. This was a paranoid thought that came through my mind. Because you were going to school in in Man, or you were not in, Manhattan, were in but per- White Plains. Yeah, so you were just about. What forty minutes outside of Manhattan? Yeah, I was. I was like maybe uh, White Plains. My school would purchase college, so that by the Metro North to ground to not Ground Zero, um, to Grand Central Station is like a forty-five minute train ride. Yeah, and you were in class when it when it, when two thousand eleven or September eleventh. Yeah, I was in class. So basically, I moved to study piano. I'd been in college for two years at the University of Buffalo, and then I transferred because my teacher was retiring, Frina Bolt, and a great concert pianist and woman, and she uh, also a Holocaust survivor, and she told me to go to this school because she trusted the face of the teacher that I was going to study with. 
Wow, that's interesting. She, 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 and she herself had because of her trauma from the Holocaust had some diagnosis, um, and she functioned. You know, she was Mm -hmm. able to be a college professor for like fifty years, but she was also kind of a little erratic because she had that trauma. Like her whole family was killed, and she escaped, and Mm -hmm. and like, uh, but she told me go to this school. This man has a good face. And it was my teacher, Paul Ostrowski. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was Isaac Stern, the accompanist, Isaac Stern, the counter-violinist. And he was uh, from the Moscow Conservatory. And so he told, she told me, go study with this man. I, he has a good face. And uh, I studied with him. I, I, I moved there to, actually, it was Westchester. Purchased a little away from White Plains, maybe like five minutes, ten minutes. So... I studied piano and moved there a week before September 11th. So that, the next day, there's a couple things that happened. I remember that night I didn't really sleep, um, but I was listening to Keith Jarrett's recording of Time After Time from the Blue Note recordings. Mm-hmm. This, this is a few hours after I heard Do Not Be Afraid and Live a Clean Life. And so I'm listening to this recording of this great jazz pianist and concert artist uh keith jarrett and as i'm listening i remember my roommates were were sleeping my housemates were sleeping i remember just seeing the room fill up with a glowing white light and i felt like chains start breaking off of me i could feel like just stuff falling off me and breaking off of me and as I listened to this music, it was like stepping into eternity. It was like it was like hearing music from a vantage point that I never heard it before. I don't know if you've had this experience. Like it, I've talked to some worship leaders and Christian musicians, and even I think you know non-believers have this experience too, to a different level. But when you play, there's some t- there's a certain level of playing you could get to. It says we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. And when you start entering into a place of worship long enough, and the atmosphere of worship starts to um, surround you, that seated in heavenly places reality starts to manifest. Mm. And that's what I was tasting for the first time. Mm. That like it was like God spoke to me, and it was like He was actually calling me to Himself. My reality was shifting. I was taking on more like a higher heavenly perspective because just hearing a simple song wouldn't make you feel like, oh, time is different or stopped. But like this was a different reality. So I I went to class after listening to that music and not sleeping. (laughs) And then in class, I was taking a jazz improv class and, uh, The teacher says, Ed, I want you at the piano, and I want some other kids playing whatever, all the instruments. We're going to have a little jam session today. And uh, 
it was basic jazz improvisation. Now there was three pianists. So it was my friend Garnett, and then another guy, Jake. Jake was Jewish, and Garnett was a Christian music minister at his church. He played organ. Garnett was a music minister, and so we started to play, and I could play whatever I wanted. It was the most. This was this was, and. It was like God did a miracle through my hands. It was like, it was so, I was kind of able to improvise, but not that great at it. But this was like any musical thought that came to me, I could just execute it. And it's wild. It was wild, yeah. And not only that, but I had like this discernment where I could feel people's uh, hearts, what they were thinking. Like, I, I just like, it was almost like I was being, I don't know how to describe it. It felt like, it felt like when God spoke to me, the scripture that says, oh, uh, awake, oh sleeper, let the light of Christ shine, let, let, let the light of Christ shine on you. And it was like the light of Christ was shining on me so strongly that it was like I was waking up. Mm-hmm. I was starting to wake up. And uh, musically, it was shifting things. I was able to do stuff and that I couldn't imagine doing. And then, I would sit there and I could sense that my teacher was nervous. And then all of a sudden I could sense that he was getting intrigued. And all of a sudden he was getting really happy. I could feel what everyone was feeling in the room just by, and I'm playing, I'm playing. And it was like I could play to them and just inside my spirit or my heart, I just knew what they were going through. And I remember after we played, someone said something like, thanks a lot, Ed. It was this kid who was kind of jealous or something like that. And I, it just cut me so hard. It brought me back down to earth. I just began to weep and I ran out of the room. Mm-hmm. And this, uh, the music minister, my friend Garnett Walters Jr., he runs in. He's like, Ed, why are you crying? I'm like, I'm afraid, man. I don't know how I could play like that. You know I'm not supposed to play that good. I'm like, I'm not that good. I'm like, I'm like what's going on? And, and he... I'm in the stall <laughs> crying and and he was the only one, he was the only one that came out to talk to me. I think he was like one of the only believers that I know of that was in that class. There might have been more, but he was the only one that I was friends with and he came ran out and said, "Hey, don't cry, man." He's like, "You know, the same spirit that I hear upon you is within me and you're going to be okay." And so with that, I was encouraged and later that day I had a uh, a very powerful paranoid feeling after that happened that, you know, terrorists were going to attack us again. I had to get back to Buffalo. And I remember just crying in my bedroom, in my apartment, and saying, I'm so selfish. I'm so selfish. I felt like the weight of how selfish I had been, just focusing on just myself with music and not caring about anything else. And I started crying. I'm feeling terrorists are coming, all this stuff. And then when the people came, my, my roommates came and the ambulance workers came and the RAs came, I just also remembered what God had spoken to me the day before, do not be afraid, son of Simeon, live a clean life. And I sat on that couch and I literally repeated that to myself in front of like 20 people. I For like 10 minutes, I said, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, do not be afraid. I Like for like 10 minutes, I just said that. And all of a sudden, I felt so, the room got so peaceful and still. And a man came who was like an ambulance worker and said, put his hand in front of me and said, Ed, I'm with you. And when he said that, it was like I heard God himself speak to me.
I would say, man, like some things that I've just from knowing, just from knowing you uh, for the time that I've known you, there's always been a struggle to, there's always been a struggle to take on the idea of mental illness yeah. and that you deal with that. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, <clears throat> but I do think that it's not uncommon for, um, uh, it's not uncommon for people that have mental illness to experience Christ on a uh, different level than people who um, maybe don't struggle with that. And, and so sometimes I think that, 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 that your mental illness helps you to perceive God in a, in a, a special way because I don't know what it is, but there's just something that opens you up to, to, to the Lord. And, um, but I have always known you to like, to sort of struggle with taking on that label. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but, but sometimes I think when I hear you play music or when I experience, you know, well, your music basically, like when I, when, when I listen to your music, cause it's all instrumental and I think that there's there is something about the music and how you look at life and how they marry together. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're playing, man, it's like this thing comes over the whole space. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know how that marries together with, with your mental illness, yeah. but I do feel like God has given you the ability to play music, to be able to deal with sometimes the episodes that come your way. Yeah. Maybe not just mental illness, but maybe other things, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, I know for me, like sometimes like when I get depressed, there's an extra sensitive feeling that like I'm, I'm more aware of God's presence when I'm really struggling with my depression mm-hmm. than when I am having a good season and I'm just not like, I'm not in tune with, I'm not in, maybe sometimes I just don't think I'm in, in need. But when we have like, you know, when you and I, maybe we, we slip back into like an episode where we're like, it's beating us up. We really, God really reveals different things to us in those moments because we're at the end of, ourselves you know like we're at the end of like nothing is distracting us or pulling our attention away you know well i would say the one the one of the things that i feel the lord truly revealed to me which is kind of even related to the first time i had those musical experiences where i said it feels like you're seated in heavenly places okay there's this aspect of the truth of god we have all these promises of god you know that he gives us and they're yay and amen. You know, these are promises that are promised to us. You know, it doesn't feel like they're true though all the time. It doesn't seem factually that they're true all the time, but it says let God be true and every man a liar. So I think I, because my experience at, at the beginning of my walk with the Lord was so profound, I always sort of fought the label of mental illness because I knew it didn't do the truth justice. I thank God for 
uh, the experience I went through because God revealed himself to me. I don't remember, I honestly don't remember seeking God like that. I wasn't like reading the Bible. I wasn't going to church. I wasn't doing anything like that. It was, it just, God just slipped that thought in and rescued me. I wouldn't deny what I've been through with the mental health stuff, but it's I would but I more so wouldn't deny the truth that I'm set free and that I'm healed. I know, I know of other piano players like Thelonious Monk. Yeah, awesome, amazing jazz piano player uh, who also struggled with uh, mental illness. Yeah, what I know, did he? I, he probably had an in, impact in your life. I mean, oh yeah, playing. he was the first jazz pianist I ever really listened to. Yeah, he was the first one. I don't know how that happened, but actually, I know how it happened. I when I got into jazz, I bought a. A cassette tape. I think it was actually a cassette tape. They still Old had school. those. They still had them. It was like a cassette tape of like jazz masters. And Thelonious Monk was on there. And all of them sounded so good. I liked it so much. It was just different. What did you like about it? I liked the fact that they were just kind of... Of the jazz guys, like this piano thing. I liked that they were free in a different way that classical musicians weren't. Like they were just exploring, they were creating on the spot. But when I heard Thelonious Monk's music, it was ridiculous. It was like, I'm like, oh, this guy can actually play like that. I'm like, <laughs> they, I'm like, they let people play the piano like that because <laughs> it would be like he would just literally just be like slapping the keys, and I'm like, the the technique was all just scotchy and botchy and I'm like, what are you doing? I'm like, you can't play the piano like that. But it sounded good. It was like cool. And so he actually, listening to Thelonious Monk was the guy who got me into jazz probably at first the most. Um, but just for that sheer fact that it was so different in the outlook than than the polished classical regime that I've been used to. Yeah, I was going to say, he sort of opens up the, the, the book of permission to like just be, <laughs> just go where you want to go when yeah. you're creating when you're creating music. He was... He just sort of like sit down, which I was like, we were in, um, we were playing a few weeks ago and Ed came on the run with us and he played the, um, and part of, part of when you play live that is interesting is that you do play themes from your songs, but for the most part, it's spontaneous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. So it's and it's and it's made up for what you perceive to be the you know the journey that you think the room should go on together. But it's it's unique to just that space. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. Like, and that's I think awesome. that has its ties back to to him to Thelonious kind of point. <laughs> even 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 I would say someone more so than Thelonious. Keith Jarrett. Yeah. Keith Jarrett for a long time was my favorite pianist because he was someone who epitomized that kind of, we would call it in the Christianese world, prophetic music, 
he would just call it probably like spontaneous or improvised or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I learned that there's a close relationship between what's prophetic and what's improvised. And uh, a lot of the stuff that guys like Keith Jarrett were exploring and reaching out into, or like he played with Miles Davis, you know, all these jazz greats and other improvised, improvising musicians. Uh, but yeah. Keith Jarrett, especially, I remember listening to him. He was a guy who I said I was listening to his uh, time after time recording. Mm. Not time after time, but a different one. Yeah. Uh, if you look. <laughs> yeah, not that one. Not that one. But uh, so he mastered. Like, he, I always thought I would do what he did. Um, it'd be a dream to do what he did like play these recitals all from scratch. Like he'll he'll go to Carnegie Hall and just play a two hour long concert with no plan. Now that takes some serious guts. Mm -hmm. You know, you're gonna go no to, plan. You're, you're gonna go to Carnegie Crazy. Hall and just play a recital from scratch. With people pe all like just Soul House, yeah, you know yeah, yeah. all the best musicians in New York and around the world there to just waiting on every note and he pulled it off. So I, I, I used to, when I would practice at home, a lot of my practice was more not, I did practice, you know, playing jazz standards. And then when I played with you guys, you know, I would just play the worship music. Um, I think with me, I've gotten to the point though, now where I, I don't really, I, I, I look at music as, a uh, really powerful spiritual connection to the Lord. So there are sometimes I may want to play a lot of stuff that I don't. I like I haven't played a classical recital in years, like solo piano recital. There's lots of music I like that's beautiful, but I just it it doesn't necessarily have the same draw on me to the Lord. Even same thing with jazz. There's lots of jazz music that I like. I, but it doesn't have the same draw on me that maybe just playing something like nothing but the blood of Jesus. You know, we could talk about what I've been through and the mental illness and all that stuff, but it should point you to, well, this guy really experienced something that changed his life. And I've been hospitalized a lot of times, probably more than most people. I've been through it a lot of times. I've been through ups and downs with medications and different challenges. But I talk to people sometimes and they'll, they'll look at me and they're like, you never went through that. There's no way you could have been through that. They, they, don't, they don't maybe see it on me, but I give thanks to Jesus that he's kept me standing and he's kept me up and he's kept me strong mm. you know in this walk because I know I couldn't do without him Let's talk just briefly about like, so Ed has just recorded 
a new project called Soundtracks. Yes. And mm. um, and it's all instrumental music based on um, stories of people that you met in college, um, other experiences that you had. One particular song uh, called Roy Hobbs is yes. probably my favorite. Maybe just share a little bit about that song and, and why you wrote it and who you wrote it for. And Well, that song, I... Uh, I initially got the musical idea from that uh, our friend who passed on Eric Johnson, mm-hmm. who was one of the old not senior citizens, but he was one of the older men that I would go to these Bible studies with when I first came to church. His name, and we used to call him Snake. <laughs> I used to call snake? Him snake, yeah. I don't what? know why. Because he used to wear a leather jacket and he looked like a bouncer or something like that. So I think Chris started calling him that just as the joke. Yeah, and he'd always <laughs> he would come up to you and be like, be like, "Hey, Eric," and he'd be like, "It's it's it's Snake." Like he started oh, he to actually take he started actually taking on the persona. he embraced it, loved it, man. He loved himself <laughs> some Snake. So, anyways. but I wrote it for him. I I, I found out he died on Christmas Day. Yeah, he died a few day a few days before Christmas. By invite, I found out he died on Christmas Day of 2012, I believe, or 2013. And uh, I remember driving back from his house. Me, and my cousin, went there to invite him to come over to my family's house. And um, he was he had died. And I remember just when my cousin was driving me home. I remember I just wanted to do something to remember him musically and I remember just hearing this melody go through my heart um and uh I remember the first thing I did my family was all sitting around the dining room table and the piano was right by the dining room table I went over to the piano with tears in my eyes pressed the record button and just played the whole song through as I was hearing it Kind of has a sound of take me out to the ball game or something like that. One of the old baseball songs mm-hmm. that you would hear, huh. and so I wrote it. I didn't even say I wrote it. I just got that song. I recorded it, and uh, I was envisioning that that was like his celebration song. That it was mm-hmm. like you know he had been through the struggles of life and. Now he was in a big baseball game in heaven, <laughs> and Jesus was just up there, and they were singing, they're rooting for him, or something like that. Were, all of heaven was just celebrating his return, and uh, and when I put put it to recording uh, recently, I decided on the name Rory Hobbs because I thought of him, how he had been through so much stuff in our friendship, and also how I had been through the hospitalizations and how I was going to be a concert pianist and, you know, going, being hospitalized and interrupted my schooling and all my plans of being a musician in New York City shifted. And uh, I remembered how he had always wanted me to have uh, success in my life. He was my old martial arts instructor when I was 12. And he used to say stuff like, oh, Ed, you're going to be so successful. I want you... I want the best for you. I want this for you. And I, 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 when I put that name Roy Hobbs, I was thinking to myself, like, 
in the movie, Roy Hobbs had his natural gift to play baseball. And just when he's at the start of his career, he gets taken out by that woman in the movie who shoots him. And then it goes mm-hmm. black, and then all of a sudden it's like 20 years later, mm-hmm. <laughs> like t- twice his lifetime later, he comes out of the blue and he wants to join the major leagues again. And and I kind of related to that. I was like, you know, I can do this uh, music thing because God has given me the ability, but I also feel like I've been through stuff now. And I can understand that character, Rory Hobbs, a little bit better mm-hmm. than maybe I would have mm-hmm. before I had ever been through stuff, you know? Yeah, so That's you wrote sweet. you wrote that about your karate, your martial arts instructor named Snake. Yeah. Now, see, <laughs> now so see martial arts instructor named Snake makes that, a lot that of feels sense. A little, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. I was going to ask you what the process is like when you're recording in the studio. If is like a lot, because is a lot of your writing improv? Uh, yeah, I would say, I would say I don't, I don't like my best. I don't know if I've ever really sat down to try and write a song. Uh, like, you know, think of choruses and verses and stuff. A lot of times I'll just sit down and play. Yeah. You know, that song was already established cause I heard it in my spirit and my, in my mind. And I just played it out as I was hearing it, like hearing the melody and the chords and stuff. But sometimes I just may sit and just play for a while, and uh, and then the songs kind of form themselves. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say Chris, you know, who produced the project, uh, Chris Hoisington. He he was telling. I mean, I was there for when the recording <laughs> was going on. First of all, Ed is like only does it in two. Like if you can't get the song in two tra- two takes. Most of the time, it may be one. Yeah. But if you have to go a second time, it better go through because he starts to lose inspiration if he's got to go to <laughs> three or four. Off. Yeah. <laughs> There's like a ledge, you know, you just like walk off the end, you know. Um, so he's like, you're like a two take guy and then you want to be done. And, yeah. um, but, but, uh, <laughs> The other thing is that I thought I think is interesting is like he'll send you a demo of something like that he recorded the night before and you think the next day you get to the session and he's going to record what's what he sent you. Right. And it'll be similar, but it will not be the exact same. (laughs) It's like, what type of ad are we going to get today? And, you know, which is. I think from a production standpoint is a little frustrating, but then also (laughs) it's also like if you're willing to just sort of go with it, it can be a lot of fun. I mean, that's why I also play the piano is, I don't play guitar, but I think playing a harmonic instrument like the piano is perfect for something like that because you can play all the harmonies and the parts. Whereas if I was just like a sax, and there are saxophone players that I shouldn't talk bad. I'm not going to talk bad about saxophone players. Please don't. I know, Please could, don't. Could this I know, show has no, a lot of saxophone no, players. No, because I know yeah, that. Yeah, I, no, I was, I was just going to say, I was just going to say they don't play solo shows, <laughs> but I know guys that would do a solo saxophone show and they do it good. But I mean, on piano, it's just, it's just you could you could 
you could define the harmonies, you could create the atmosphere, you could do all this stuff just by yourself. Yeah, the thing I've yeah. always liked about piano, even though I'm not like a very good piano player, is that the it's like the the map or the possibilities are like visually laid out like f- for you. Like mm-hmm. they're all there. Yeah. I mean, it's how you use all of it, but it's like the set, like to me, other instruments, though the notes and the way to get around to those notes are more hidden, and uh, then on piano, piano is just like it makes sense to me in my mind, at least for way way I think like that it's all there and it's in an order. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you can yeah. sort of like once you know the order and you know enough around, you can it just you can explore new territory at least i've always felt that way about piano but yeah i remember there there'd be times where i i would have this experience where like for like two months i could play like super good i could improvise such a high level and i knew god was doing something it was like how i experienced at school i could play whatever i want it was something like that my hands even felt better i could play these notes i could i could just lines were just coming out of me musical forms and melodies flowing out of me and then i would try and go to like a jazz club and show it off and it would not work (laughs) it would it wouldn't happen and I'd be like, come on, I'm a God, come on. This, this, I got I wanna impress these people. I wanna do this. And they're just like, nope. It ain't happening today, buddy. <laughs> no, I think improvisation in its truest form, like it isn't about like the player so much as it is about the communal experience. Like we're actually all gonna hear this for the first time. Yeah. Player and listener alike. And uh, you know, and that that piece I think is what people want, but um, which is what I think is so special. Which is kind of ironic because now we have this project coming out that'll cement those uh, themes on a record for you. But <laughs> but anyways, this album is more thematic. I would say it, it like captured the improvisation themes, the songs that came out of improvisation. Yeah, but so, they're all relatively pretty compact yeah know, they're compact three, it's, it's not like if if you listen to this you might not hear me kind of walling out like it's 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 more taking the song and developing it and using creative ideas that chris and the other musicians steve and jerry and 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 like how we can put our minds together to orchestrate it into this soundtrack of my life and the things i've been through and i was very pleased with how it turned out like some of the stuff i'm trying to think if there's another song um uh, the one song I, I like, uh, is a Jessica song. Um, that song came about kind of has two, two sides to it. Not two sides, but two, two stories, two stories. I was, uh, my friend, our friend, Adam Dirks, you know, big supporter of old bear. He, uh, came to my apartment and he was like, Oh man, Ed. I think it was like Christmas Eve or something like that. A lot of Christmas Eve stories. But it, actually, it could have been around the time when Eric passed on. Because I think it might have been that day. Or I might have got two of those songs around that day. But uh, 
Adam's like, Ed, my 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 wife's on the phone. He's like, write a song for her. He's like, can you write a song for my wife? He had just gotten married. So I'm like, okay. I was like, record this. This is going to be a good one. <laughs> so I, I basically sat down. I feel it. I felt it. So I just recorded it basically verbatim as, as we recorded it, melody and all. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I'm laughing for some reason. No, I'm a, I, and then, <laughs> and then, uh, it, the, the other story to the song, so it was that I, I, I wrote this song for his wife and it turned out beautiful. Uh, but if you listen to the way we recorded it on the album, Chris includes some overdubbing of like Chinese, uh, a subway worker speaking Chinese. And uh, it's cool. It kind of gives you this Blade Runner feel. Like, if you know the movie Blade Runner, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. like, it's like, what is this? It's like, this is piano music. You know, a, a subway and a worker in Chinese talking about going to Taiwan or whatever. <laughs> and like, but there was a friend of mine named Yaya who, uh, she had written to me that day also from China and I hadn't heard from her for like a year and I saw her wish me Merry Christmas and so as I was I just come out of my room and got that like message Merry Christmas Ed and I and I hadn't heard from her in like a year or two she moved back to China for some time or whatever and I was thinking to myself man where she's at maybe she doesn't even know anybody that she could say Merry Christmas to I was like we take it so for granted that we oh. could just say Merry Christmas to everyone I was like who knows what could have happened to her for wishing me Merry Christmas, you know, just for reaching out over the internet. I don't know, mm-hmm. you know, so I, I, that was kind of going through my mind. And when I told Chris, he, he included a little bit of the Chinese language just for that little uh, memento of that. So there's a lot of the the project has a lot of field recordings in it. Uh, so like Roy Hobbs, <clears throat> yeah. Behind it, there's like old old um, commentating from old old baseball, baseball games. games and stuff. Cool. So that it kind like of archival, like, yeah, sort of yeah, stuff. yeah. So it is a <clears throat> it's 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 very different for us at Old Bear to be able to do this, but <clears throat> we're excited about it and um, really feel like it's going to make it's it's not something you can just sit you like when you know the story and then you sit down and listen to it yeah it makes it even more special and so i feel like that's going to be the piece to like you know to kind of dig and find out the stories behind the songs and then go back and listen to it again it always sort of sheds a new light on it so yeah definitely um well cool man well thanks for no problem thanks for coming and Thank you for listening to Baritone Podcast. If you have any comments or you just want to get in touch with us, you can email us at baritonepodcast at gmail.com. In the show notes, you will find a link to Ed's album Soundtracks, and you'll also find links to a couple videos. The first is a Harmonized Sounds video, and that kind of digs deep into the nuts and bolts of the recording process. You'll also find a couple playthrough videos of Ed playing through some of the, the songs on the album. 
Thank you to Sarah Bridgman for creating the artwork for this show, and thank you to Anthony Hoisington for helping produce this show. We have a bunch more interviews coming your way, so stay tuned and thank you for listening. 